Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you may be. This is Snapshots in Hockey History. And happy Thursday. Welcome to another edition of Snapshots in Hockey History, where we relive the hockey highlight reel. My name is Brett Small. Thanks for joining us. If it's your first time, welcome. If you're returning again, Good to have you back. Just to go ahead and get the business out of the way, Snapshots in Hockey History is a listener-supported podcast brought to you free of charge every single Monday and Thursday at 8 a.m. There will never be a charge for this podcast. I will never ask you for a dollar out of your pocket. But if you'd like to do something nice, like to help us out, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps with the algorithms and spreading Snapshots in Hockey History. Please also don't forget to follow us on Facebook at Snapshots in Hockey History and on Twitter at Snapshots in. I apologize if I'm speaking a little quietly tonight. It's uh, kind of late around here. We just got wrapped up Halloween, giving candy out to all the kids in the neighborhood. And it's always fun to see the different costumes. And speaking of costumes, I saw that Mark Stone and Brady Kachuk dressed as the two guys from Talladega Nights. I thought that was awesome. They were definitely shake and bake. They did a great job with their costumes. Also saw that Ben Bishop of the Dallas Stars dressed as the Beast from Beauty and the Beast. He went all out on his costume. And of course, I got to talk about the local guys. I thought Tom Wilson did an excellent job as Squints Pomodoris, married to Wendy Peppercorn. I think that must have been his girlfriend from the Sandlot. Meanwhile, today, while I was rolling through Twitter, kind of getting prepped for the show, kind of catching up on notes, looking at costumes, I came across the LA Kings record and oh my God, I, I don't know what's going on with them. I'm not one that likes to criticize NHL players or NHL teams. After all, I never played in the league. I will never play in the league. These guys are much better athletes and more talented than I'll ever be. I enjoy watching them, but good God, these guys can't get out of their own way right now. They've lost three of their last four games. They lost to Buffalo, I think, 5-1. to one. They lost to Minnesota, 4-2. to two. They also lost to the Dallas Stars, 4-2. to two. They just can't seem to figure out how to make things work, which is kind of crazy considering how talented they are. And of all people, Ilya Kovalchuk is leading that team in scoring. Ilya Kovalchuk's like 35 years old. You got Anze Kopitar, you got Drew Doughty, so many talented players, and it's a shame. They just can't get it figured out, I guess. I don't know what's going on over there. Anyways, we're back here for part two of our interview with Chris Felix today. Hope everyone enjoyed part one. During part one, we kind of introduced the first part of the 1989 Friendship Tour, where we talked about heading overseas, playing in Sweden, catching up with Ben Gustafson, hearing a little bit about Rod Langway. We pick up part two right at the beginning of their first game against the Soviet Union. And and I got to tell you, Chris doesn't disappoint. He tells some great stories about Dale Hunter flying across the country, wives getting detained, some pretty funny stuff. Quick shout out to many of Chris's friends at the plant that were listening. I got lots of IMs and messages from them. So shout out, boys. Glad you enjoyed an episode of Snapshots in Hockey History with Chris Felix. Definitely going to have Chris back on again. But anyways, I've yapped enough. I know everyone's tired of my babbling. Let's get to part two of our interview with Chris Felix. The first games are played September 15th against Spartak. The Capitals go down 2-0 early on, but rally and end up winning 8-7 in overtime with a goal by Doug Wickenheiser. Brian Murray is quoted as saying that wasn't the Washington Capitals' normal way of playing. It's usually 2-1, not 8-7. Even though we're in the preseason, is the intensity being raised during these games because you're playing against the Soviet Union and you're playing internationally? Well, it's picked up a little bit. Again, from my experience, you're not playing against the Red Army with their elite team. You're playing their club teams, which, again, are very, very respectful, very good teams. And, and of course, they're playing against the National Hockey League that they've heard about, read about, that they'd all, the league that they would like to go. So, of course, their game is picked up uh, immensely. For us, again, we're still just trying to crack a lineup. And, and as much as the games are important for, for making the team, 
you're not uh, you're not playing a league game where the two points are really important. The next game is going to be played in Moscow, and Brian Murray actually schedules a practice prior to the game. Are you guys trying to squeeze in as much of a training camp as you can while still playing games? Are you trying to not sacrifice that that time to prepare for the season? Yeah, we're trying to get as most as much as we can out of there. You got to remember, I think we had 30 guys, so uh, there was always a few healthy scratches. And and if anybody's going to try and make the lineup, you got to learn his system and what he's expecting and and what's happened to the game before and what went wrong and what went right and and to try and get some line combinations and who should play with who and who who could actually make this team uh, once we get back to North America. That's all he was doing. You guys end up getting smashed in this game by Dynamo Moscow. Uh, Dino Cicerelli scores two goals. Another thing happens in this game. This is the first time that the Capitals fans get to see a 1984 draft pick named Mikhail Tatarnov. I've always been fascinated with this guy. Evidently, he allegedly murdered a guy in the Soviet Union and did some time. And I've heard not really the greatest things about him. Did you ever have any experience with him? No, I can't. I can't honestly answer that. I'd heard his name and and that's it. I, I, I didn't even really, really know that, to tell you the truth. It came out years later. I guess he helped a future NHLer, Andre Nikolishin, quite a bit. And Andre came out and said he was one of the strangest guys he's ever met. And I know Alan May didn't have the greatest things to say about him either. Speaking of Alan May, he's kind of turned into a little bit of a local celebrity around Washington. He works as a broadcaster on NBC Sportsnet. What can you remember about Alan around this time? We were buddies again. He was a little bit of a different style, you know. He was the fighter. He did his thing, and uh, and uh, he 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 did he did great for what he the talent again that he had. He was he's he's a middle heavyweight fighting heavyweights and uh, tooth and nail and banged his way to to the success he had. He he was a good guy. Rod Langway is quoted as saying the team looked tired during this game. We've talked about all the activity. Are guys starting to get a little tired and get a little frustrated? Well, I can't say too much, uh, but it, now it is getting longer and you are traveling and you're, again, you're in different beds, different food, and they're trying to make it as much of, like, again, you're with your wife. They want to try and squeeze in as much as we can. So we're going to go see the tourists. We're going to go do that. Then we're going to have practice and whoever's not playing, we're going to go here. But at the meantime, we still have a game to play and uh, and a job to do, but also trying to in, enjoy our, our time while we're there. So it does take its toll on you. We talked about Rod Langway, who was a Hockey Hall of Famer. Let's talk about Scott Stevens a little bit. The game has changed so much since this tour took place. Do you think Scott could still today play with the style that he played with back then? I really don't think so. If Scotty was a very, very smart hockey player, he might be able to ad- adapt his game and change it to today's, but but not then. I, I was fortunate enough to play with Scotty. He was in the Kitchener Rangers when I was with the Greyhounds for three years, and he... He's a hard-checking, same style he played up there as, as he played in junior. And that, and that was Scotty's game. That was his strength. He was a guy that I don't think Scotty ever had a chocolate bar. Here's a guy that's just a ripped out of solid farm boy muscle and strength from the size of his hands to his feet. Scotty had no body fat on him. He was solid. He, he probably didn't even need shoulder pads. When Scotty hit you, you felt it. And that's the type of style that he played uh, – a hard nose, rugged, rugged 
type of player. On September 17th, David Poyle meets with a young Russian player who'd go on to have a pretty good NHL career, Dmitry Kristich. Did you recall seeing him around? Yes, a little bit. Uh, he was, uh, again, quite under the radar, but uh, he, he was a kind of a goal scorer type of player. But again, not not really knowing that much about him, but, uh, you know, the right spot, the right time. You get the, If you get the opportunity you, and if you can make your make things happen, then, then you're going to be successful. So he was a a quiet type of guy, but but still managed to put up some points. The same article that reported about Dmitry Kristich also lists that there have been several ceremonial gifts intended for the Dynamo players that have been stolen, including several pairs of Levi's jeans. Are Levi's jeans in Russia in the 80s that hot of a commodity? Oh, 100%. Actually, anything coming out of North America from Nike to Levi's to any of your name brand stuff is worth a lot of money over there. When I was there or in Europe... A pair of Levi jeans for twenty, thirty, forty dollars here. You're paying a hundred to two hundred dollars there because that's they can they, they cannot get them, and that's what they want. So yes, I mean, it's it was, they'll they'll trade you two hundred dollar caviar that we would have to pay that we don't eat like is, is nothing <laughs> to them for for a pair of jeans. Leaving Moscow two days later, the team heads to Riga, Latvia, and the Capitals beat Dynamo Riga two to one. Kolzik and Defoe both play in this game. You've now had a few games against some Soviet teams. How did they differ from the Swedes, who you played just a week earlier? I, I think the, the, the Swedes are, are, I don't know if they can say a little bit faster, but a little bit, again, different style play. Russians are playing a little more physical, puck control type of a game that keep, keep the puck more or less. Now, we're still playing our North American dump and chase and try and pound the body as much as we can and look for turnovers that way. But the Russians, they're not going to back down from anything either because they're they're the strong uh, a strong force to be dealt with. And and again, they everybody wanted to win. Ole Kolzik and Byron Defoe split the goaltending in this game. Did you see the talent for those guys early on? Yes and no. It's, it's hard hard to say. They back then they they were still young and up and coming. And again, two different styles from a small guy to a big guy. You're you're again your Ken Dryden style and Kolzik to a smaller Beaupre, uh, Clint Malarchuk type of type of goalie who who reacted a lot on reflexes. No matter what, at the end of the day, you stop the puck. It doesn't matter what style you're playing, but here's two kids trying to work hard and, and earn a job in, in the National Hockey League with some other veterans. It's a tough, tough role to do. Dynamo Riga also has a pretty good goaltender in Arturs Erbe. Erbe played a long NHL career. Was there anything that stuck out about him to you playing against him? <laughs> no, because I, I, it was before he'd made it to the National Hockey League, so I wasn't really, I didn't even know who he was, to tell you the truth. Maybe you met him later that night. It looks like the Riga players and the Capitals got together for a little festivity. Do you recall that event? Honestly, I don't recall, but I know that a lot of times there was dinner or, or a meal planned to have both teams together and, and, and the, the visiting team would supply or whatever, put on a nice catered meal to, to show their appreciation for us being there. It sounds like during this tour, the fans were all over the place. What was the treatment from the fans like in the Soviet Union in the 80s? It was pretty good. Uh, another situation was one it actually happened with, with the wives and everything like that. We used to have, they used to have bring, we brought a lot of hockey cards and, mm-hmm. and a lot of gum and stuff to give out to the kids and, and that sort of thing. So the wives always had a lot of that. Well, it almost became like seagulls. Uh, my wife was telling me that they, I think it was with Dino Cicerelli's wife, I think Chantel Juice was there. Well, they started handing out this stuff. Well, 
well, now the kids became it, it almost was like almost like a riot act. Well, don't the KGB come and, and steal them away? And they took them into a room, just like in the movies with the with guys sitting behind the desk, the light on, and they're smoking. And it was my wife, one or the other wives, and got a hold of Dino. Like, you could, this is, I don't know what's going on. You know, you can't speak the language, but Dino got a hold of somebody who could help out and more or less rescued the girls. The KGB was just trying to uh, settle down the excitement of a, you know, a half a riot taking place and protect the, the girls and the wives from that. But it, it, my wife said it was just right out of the movie. You couldn't see the person across from you because of the typical smoking and the, the bright lights in your eyes. And these guys didn't know what they were doing or what they were passing out. They had boxes of dentine and give this candy to the kids, and it just, it just got out of control. So there was a huge KGB presence then? Always, always, everywhere, everywhere you went. For the time you got off the plane, talking machine guns, oh yeah, totally, they controlled everything. Did you feel nervous at any point? You no, know, I, I honestly didn't because I'd been there too many times in my career. When I was the very first couple of times when I was there, yes, it was a little. It's not your North America to to have this many army people with full out machine guns, just not like a gun in your holster, holding the machine gun that any second something could go wrong. You're like, this isn't normal. But to them, it was and nothing ever did take place. So I can't even imagine just being followed around nonstop. And it sounds like it's almost like Rocky four where everybody was following Rocky. It sounds like you guys had an entourage of KGB guards following you guys. Yeah. And a lot undercover, a lot you didn't know, but they, a lot of their people wear their full police military coats and jackets that, you know, cause they are, they want to be seen and be present at all times. They run the whole country. And they treated you guys. Okay. They didn't, there was no disrespect or anything like that among the mm -hmm. Soviets and the Americans? No, not at all. No, total respect, total, uh, uh, again, they didn't want anything to happen that they'd have to answer to, oh, why did, why, why did a riot break out with the National Hockey League team being there? I didn't even think about that. That's a huge risk for them. Here you're finally having the National Hockey League come over from America, let alone the one from D.C. where the president lives. Yes. And you've got to protect these guys. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man. Final game of the series happens. The Capitals are in Leningrad and the Capitals come out on top with three more goals from Jeff Courtnall, one from Dino Cicerelli and another from Dale Hunter. Everyone seems to have a great Dale Hunter story. I've yet to hear somebody that doesn't have one. Do you have a Dale Hunter story? <laughs> uh, I got one. Uh, actually, I was pretty lucky that Dale was my roommate when I when we were when I did get called up. I lived with uh, or I roomed with Dale on the on the road and everything. And, and just again, you're you're half in awe. And Dale is a you're never going to find a down to earth type of guy. Where you're with Rod Langway, he's wearing Hugo Boss and driving a Porsche. <laughs> Dale's wearing Mark's Work Warehouse uh, blue dress uh, work pants <laughs> with a horse blanket uh, kind of a jacket driving a Ford truck that he's all excited about. And so totally different people. So anyways, I'm rooming with Dale. And back then, the hockey news was a very... Oh, sure. You know, there was no phone and computer and all that. So that's how you kept track of your all your buddies that you played with, who got called up, who got sent down, who scored... So at the beginning of the week, when that one came out, everybody read it front to back. So I'm rooming with Dale, and uh, we're there. And I'm like, okay, give me, give me the, uh, give me the hockey news. 
Hang on, kid. Hang on. I'm not finished. So another half an hour goes by. Come on, Dale. You got to be finished now. No, no. Kid, there's uh, there's $10 up there on the TV. Go get us a bowl of ice cream. I said, okay, okay. I run down the lobby, get the ice cream. We're having ice. He's still got the paper. So now he's almost finished and he's sort of lollygagging or whatever. Finally, he finishes it. He gives me the paper. I start looking at it for about a minute and a half. Next thing I know, TV's off and he turns the lights on. I go, what are you doing? Kid, we got a big game tomorrow. You don't need to be reading that shit. <laughs> 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 what are you going to do? So, another, another, another deal, Hunter, same thing, that we were up in the wives' room and everybody came up after. Well, his wife at the time, Krinka, we had, let's say, the fridge where the beer were, but there was only, ah, let's say, two cases in there. When you got a guy, 20 guys, and people drink, it goes pretty quick. Well, Krinka right. knew every time she took two beer, put them in her purse, so Dale had two travelers to go home with in the truck on the way home. So That's a wife that you keep. That's well, he should have kept. Might have cost him a little bit of money, but uh, he ended up. Hey, you can always find more money. You can always make more money. You can't always find someone that'll grab you two beers on the way out. Exactly. Exactly. The trip comes to an end, kind of winding everything down. What were your overall thoughts on the trip? I thought it was great. I enjoyed it just to have my wife over there because to to enjoy this experience. Again, I'm with the national team. She's never been to Europe, never been that. She's getting treated like a, a National Hockey League wife from track suits to gifts to that. And you're, you really feel part of the team and, and get to get to share that experience. I, I enjoyed that a, a lot. In terms of the hockey, it was exciting. It was that. But again, you never know who's going to be on a team. If you're a good judge of your own ability and character, you know the writing, who's doing what. But to be able to be, just be selected amongst those guys and be the top guys in the minors it was excellent i i enjoyed i still have pictures and talk about it to this day people say something my wife says oh i was in russia i was here i was in europe so it was a nice experience i just think it's so, so unique because you guys went over there when communism was still a thing and if i'm not mistaken it's kind of like the, the states with cuba we can't go to cuba there's an embargo at the time there was pretty much an embargo the public could not go to the soviet union correct correct yeah, so yeah. I mean that that yeah. must have been you got to experience something that probably very few people on this continent got to. Right. Whatever you're thinking or unless you're thinking again about the movies and what what that's what it's like where people say no, come on, like they were so much behind the the black curtain or whatever that they had no idea about North America. They had no idea. So if you've if those people have never seen anything, then they think Washington, North America is exactly like Russia. So they they were just kept in the dark. And until you go there and see it for yourself, it, it was unbelievable. Capitals played six different arenas over that 17-day period. At home, you guys played in the Cap Center. Let's talk about these European arenas. And you kind of discussed it a little bit with how different it was in the Soviet Union. You have a, an ice sheet. It's bigger. Were there any other corks or anything different that sticks out to you from these arenas? Well, the when you get to the North America rink for the size of the dressing rooms and all the extra goodies that are that come with playing pro hockey are very nice. In, in Europe, they don't. You're not treat, and I can't say you're not treated that well, but they they don't know what it's like in in, in a North American type of, uh, of arena where you get all the all the perks. So uh, again, you have to you have to see it to believe it, kind of a thing. No, that's I think that's a fair statement. It's not that they didn't treat you well; they just don't have the amenities that maybe you get over here. 
Totally. That's exactly what it's like. In North America, the, the, the owners, the people, the team give you everything that you can to be successful, no matter what the cost and no matter what it is, and you, and you get that. In Europe, maybe costs aren't quite as, as – uh, the money isn't as flowing quite like it is in, in the National Hockey League. The NHL still travels quite a bit during the preseason. I know we had guys in China, Germany, Switzerland this past year. Um, it's been said, like I know the Flames said, that by taking that tour in advance, it really hurt them later on in the season because they were exhausted. As someone that went through it, what's your thoughts on that argument? See, I can see both sides of it. Uh, when you're an older player, been in the league a while, I, I can see it taking a toll. When you're young and, and up and coming, you're you're like a young kid full of piss and vinegar. You could go anywhere, play as much as you want, just love to play the game. When you got your older players that, again, you drop from four lines down to three lines, expect to perform every night, a 2-1 game, you, you're doubled up, killing penalties, power play, and, and things like that. It is very... It could get hard on you. Now you got the depending on how far you went in the playoffs the year before and how much you played with injuries and uh, things like that. Now training camp starts very quickly, so I can see the the older players getting burnt out a little more. There were two more preseason games. You played two at Philadelphia. You played two at home, and unfortunately, you end up getting sent down to the minors. But you're back really quickly as a professional athlete and someone who I think you pretty much thought. Not that you were a shoe in to make it, but you were kind of right on the line. Is it depressing yeah. when you get sent down to the minors? Yeah, not depressed. It's a tiny bit of a disappointment. But again, you go to back, you got to be a judge of your own character. I told you they had the Fab Four. There's not a chance in hell that you're going to take one of their spots. And, and then the other two guys are, are there, again, I'm not the fighter, so you eliminate that job. And you have you have one more first-rounder Swede, again, who's going to get every opportunity to make the team because that's how, that's how the game's played. But to be able to go down and know that, that you are the next person to, to be called up, I, I could accept that. It, it was it was something that I, I knew was going to happen, and then I got the opportunity. Uh, boom, two games here, two games there, one game here. It, it, it was exciting. I, I, I wouldn't change it for the world. You go ahead. You enjoy your time in Baltimore, it sounds like. You had the, the Golden Four. One of the things that impressed me about you, and correct me if I'm wrong, is it sounds like you kept such a positive attitude. Do you credit that to what kept your career going for so long, even though you were kind of back and forth? Yeah, I I think so. I, again, it was still the excitement. Uh, I couldn't I couldn't wait for that phone to ring and and, and know that I'd be playing uh, it just just to be called up and even just go to practice. It was still exciting and know that you are that close. Again, if I was to take any disappointment, it was maybe the wrong team at the wrong time. So when I'm playing with some of my other guys from the the Olympic team to to the juniors, and you're on a on a weaker team and you play ten games, and you play fifteen games. Well, that's just the luck of the draw on what team you were on. I got one more story for you before oh. we do the other story. Yeah, please. Okay, so now we're I'm with we're with the we're with the Caps and we're flying from one city to another city and and back then the the airplanes aren't like they were now. So we're flying Aeroflot. And we got our own charter and because it was a little bit small, we, we don't have all the bags under underneath. Okay. We got some we got the hockey bags strapped up near the front and everybody's spread out on, on the whole plane and, and we're there and but we haven't taken off yet. Now the airplane they come on board and they're talking Russian and, and we don't know exactly what's going on. But now they start moving us sort of towards the front or the back of the plane and, and, and adjusting everybody. And so then we find out what's going on, what's going on. Well, they say, well, they don't know with this much weight 
if the runway is going to be long <laughs> enough to take off. And, and, and I'm thinking, you're not serious. Like We have a Poyle, and I can't remember all the names, all the owners, all the, the coaches, all the GM, all these important people, the whole national Washington Capital hockey team on board, and we're going to just move the bags to take a chance that we got enough speed to take off. I'm like, are you kidding me? I said, well, whatever it is meant to be, sure enough, we moved everything, did everything, and then we and we took off. But that was the crazy, you know what I mean? Just move the bags yeah, over I there. Yeah, I mean, seriously. Oh, okay. We're going to fly we're, we're, in the we're, sky we're, here with 4,000 pounds. But if we just move the bags, we're safe. Don't worry. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, roll the dice. We, we should probably be able to take off. But uh, if not... Uh, Everybody dies and we'll call her, uh, I, guess, I guess it was too heavy. <laughs> it's like when the doctor goes in and or he writes an X on somebody's arm to signify where they're going to cut them. Oh, yeah, let's just use a pen here that could, you know, wash off in a second. No big deal. Yeah, no, no not a big deal at all. Where, where exactly. were you guys going? Was that, was that on the way back from the Soviet Union? It, it, it was either one of the, it was between going from one game to another game. I don't know which one it was. God. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, what, like a, a, <laughs> what a story. Before before we wrap it up, I, I did forget to touch on this. What are you up to now? What am I up to now? I'm out here in, in Sault Ste. Marie, and uh, I'm working at one of the biggest steel plants here in the Sioux, which is our, our main source of employment here. And I'm happy. I'll, after hockey, I just wanted to, I wanted to settle down and be a normal person where you can have a beer in the garage, you cut your grass and your neighbors come by. I, I, was, I was sort of ready, ready for that. And then coming home every summer, you're kind of a star and people know who you are, but I kept in touch. I'm, I'm, I'm normal. Even though I was who I was, I'm still a normal guy that I treated people how I wanted to to be treated, and along the way, I told my buddies, "Hey, someday you got to get me in. Hey, one day I'm gonna hockey's gonna be over. Like I'm 38 years old. What do I put on a resume? I, I can kill a penalty. I'm a good guy in the dressing room. I got a hard shot. These people look at like, where have you been for 15 years? So sure enough, when the time came, uh, I did reach out to a couple of my buddies, and and boom, I, I I got hired the next day. No resume, no interview, no nothing, and and, and I love it. It's 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 been a great great uh, life after hockey for me. Awesome. If fans want to find you, is there? Are you on social media at all? Are you you know? Or do you pretty much keep private? Anything you want to throw out there, Twitter or anything? Actually, I'm not on the Twitter thing. I do the Facebook thing a little bit, and uh, I just. Uh, kind of half private I, I enjoy i enjoy everything god chris gave us so many good stories I, I just laugh whenever i think about a plane with 25 athletes on there probably each one is 200 pounds whatever it may be plus you got equipment and here the captain of the plane comes out and says hey sorry we're not going to be able to take off because there's a little bit too much weight on the plane but we're just going to switch some things around but don't worry it's completely safe does that sound kind of crazy to anybody else, or is that just me? I don't know. Anyways, appreciate you tuning in to this week's episode of Snapshots in Hockey History. Don't forget to tune in Monday. We've got another episode dropping at 8 a.m. If you're a Philadelphia Flyers fan or you're an 80s hockey fan, I think you'll really, really enjoy this episode. Uh, we have a great guest. He was a uh, former guy. I think he was the captain of two teams he played for, and he was an assistant captain as well of another team. So uh, definitely a great leader. He shares some great insight with us. Have a great weekend, and we'll catch you next time on the next episode of Snapshots in Hockey History.